Well, reason for the call today, John, is... Welcome to Internal Use Only. Something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Got a minute? A podcast for wholesalers. Always be closing. Always be closing. By wholesalers. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Okay, before we get started, I have one question. Has anyone here passed a Series 7 exam? I have a Series 7 license. Good for you. You can get out. Let's cut to the chase. Here's your host, Dan Sullivan. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Internal Use Only Podcast. If you're new to the show... Thanks so much for joining in. And if you're a return listener, it's great to have you back. I'm very excited about today's episode because we're welcoming our first allocator to the show. We'll be joined by Adam Schwab, who's been managing investments for over 17 years across several institutions. Today, he's part of the investment team at the Modern Woodman of America, where he manages $1 billion in their alternatives portfolio and also the $700 million pension plan. Adam and I have a great conversation about 12 ways to make conferences and events better for both the investors that attend and for the managers that sponsor. There are way too many conferences that have redundant programming and don't really make it interesting or appealing for either the investors or, quite frankly, the managers that are sponsoring it. I can speak on behalf of myself. There's been several events that really don't get it done from the introductions or connections that I'm hoping to make when I attend. I didn't realize that that was a similar problem for the investors that go, at least from a content and programming perspective. So Adam talks about his perspective as an LP or as an investor, and I talk a little bit about how I feel as a wholesaler that attends some of these conferences and events. So we lay out these 12, we banter about whether we agree or disagree on his suggestions, but Adam does a great job of framing what he thinks is going to make conferences and events going forward much better. And hey, if you're listening into this and you're planning a conference or event, you think that Adam or myself would be a great guest to help run a better program, let us know. We're more than happy to be available. Before we get to the interview, I have some congratulations to give out. If you remember, we did an audience survey back in December. I wanted to thank everybody that participated. All of your thoughts are going to really help this show grow and get us the topics you want and even some of the additional resources that we plan to launch this year. So thanks again to everybody that submitted. We had three winners. Davis Hull, Connor Warren, and Lindsay Foster. So to the three of you, congratulations. You received your gift card via email. Lastly, if you're a fan of the show and like what we're doing, take a second to follow us on Instagram at internal use only podcast and give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. Without further ado, let's get to today's interview with Adam Schwab. This is a first for the show. So I've really wanted to make this platform a place that brings all investment professionals together. One component that we were missing was an allocator to come on and really talk about what their role is and what they're doing. And can you give us just a a quick rundown of your role managing money on behalf of a general account for an insurance pool? Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. Uh, Looking forward to the conversation. Again, happy to provide my perspective on what I see as an allocator and kind of my, my background and experience but but you're right so i'm at a, a life insurance company it's called modern woodman of america uh, we're located about two hours west of chicago uh, about an 18 billion dollar life insurance company i do all their private markets and alternative assets for the general account and then we also have a pension plan 
Uh, it's probably about 700 million of assets, and I oversee the asset allocation, manager selection, um, on that as well. So kind of two different roles I do. I've been here about four years, always been on the institutional side. So I started out of college at South Dakota's pension system. I was doing global equity, uh, portfolio management, and then uh, we started a U.S. small and mid-cap strategy that I moved over to. So I was there probably about 10 years and then moved to Des Moines, Iowa, worked for a small insurance company that was about two and a half billion, oversaw their investment portfolio, uh, again, there about three years and then joined Modern Woman about you know coming up on four years ago. So uh, again, all institutional uh, type of investing, uh, but been at a couple of different pension and insurance companies. Was this a career path that you always wanted for yourself? Did you kind of find yourself in the role? Like, how did you initially get that first step working on behalf of such a, a large pool of assets? Yeah, that's a good question. So I always knew I was going to, you know, I was a finance undergrad. I was investing in high school. And I, you know, I knew that was, you know, the path for me. But yeah, it just happened. I had an internship at South Coast Pension Fund and and it just worked out. And they you know hired me on full time after um, I went to school in South Dakota. So that's kind of how I, you know, you know, got there, but yeah, I kind of had thoughts of, yeah, should I try the you know, New York thing and kind of go, you know, work there or go to a bigger city. And, uh, you know, South Dakota was a great place to start and they have a really good, uh, really good pension fund, really good performance. They've really, you know, done a lot of things well. So it was a great place to be, but you're right. When I think about like where I've been at, it was more, it's all been, somewhat random kind of how things fall together and it's not been this career path of oh i gotta be here and i gotta you know work for these call it you know top tier or brand name firms it's just been i've tried to find really interesting positions and firms that are a little bit different than what i've done before that you know kind of helped me grow and kind of follow that type of cliche but yeah it's always been something new to transition to and learn and kind of grow and you know, I obviously hope to, you know, get to the CIO position at some point. So all these roles have kind of helped fill, um, you know, kind of a learning need or an experience need. And it's been interesting, but you're right. Yeah, it's definitely not, uh, you know, some of the names, you know, aren't, aren't what you would, you know, wouldn't come to mind. But when I talk to college students, it's always interesting of like, there's a lot of pools of capital. In oh, the my US, God, especially so many. You, you and I even I'm in, I've been in the insurance industry about you know seven years now. There are still you know twenty billion dollar insurance companies that I come across that I've never heard of, and it's like that's that's a massive amount of capital. And if you think about trying to get into the industry, there's so many kind of backdoor type of ways you can get in besides going to Goldman or you know any of the big firms that you know kind of come to mind right away. So it's just a you know there's lots of ways to do it. Um, and it's been nice because you get you know experience pretty quickly, and you're you're usually doing a lot more. I mean, uh, you know, a lot you have a lot of responsibility right away, just because you know the staff is smaller. You don't have quite the resources, so you're kind of doing everything. So uh, it's been interesting. It's been interesting and fun, and kind of it's been my goal as I kind of think about career and positions uh, going and, forward. And all of those roles serve a, a very significant purpose for those plans. Like you touched on a little bit with like the staff size. Yep. and what those larger pools of capital need. It's not like there's anything crazy sophisticated or fancy about, let's call it a state plan or even an insurance plan that has just accrued this large capital base that then needs to go get allocated to outside managers. It might be a small building in a rural town, yep. but it still has the same 
investment needs as any one of these other groups that are more either, you know, let's, let's call it like the top 15 endowments or the pensions yeah. that you're always going to see on those lists. So glad to see that you're able to find that niche and that you're progressing that career and uh, getting there to the tops of the investment office. Yeah, it's been good. You're right. You know, you think about it's interesting when you think about like, call it, yeah, the, the, the Ivy League endowments that are kind of like, you know, the, the, the top of the top, everyone looks to them as the model of how you should do things. And look, there's a lot of, I call it pools of capital that they've kind of just, they built this pool over time. They've never really had, you know, let's say the, that Ivy league mindset of we're going to hire the best. We're going to be, you know, super forward looking. It's kind of been something that, you know, these assets have been looked after performance has been good. Markets have helped out. And all of a sudden you're sitting on 10 or 15 or 20 billion, you know, of capital and, you know, you're under um, resource as far as people and technology and, so it's interesting to come in and you're trying to change that and move, you know, you know, move these companies forward. And um, again, trying to kind of modernize and, you know, we're, we're never going to be Princeton or Yale or Harvard, but you're trying to get close to, you know, you're doing things better than just kind of, you know, having everything kind of been, you know, ha- having it done half ass. So that's kind of the, the challenge and it can be the frustrating part, but it's also the exciting part as well. Yeah, for sure. Never, never a dull moment, as right. they would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can say this with uh, a full, full steam of confidence or full head of confidence here, whatever that expression might be. So you wrote a blog that's about making conferences great again. Yep. And there's 12 different items here that from, from your perspective as an allocator, you suggest that would make the overall experience better. So we're going to spend time debating these from the allocator and then from yep. the asset manager or sponsor standpoint. But even before we get into the specifics, in your own words, you, you just talked a lot about your what you're doing day to day. You're you're working with teams. There's like a number of administrative and company and leadership focuses. There's obviously the investment nuts and bolts. But when it comes down to going to an event, signing up and participating, like what are you looking for? How often are people like bothering you to go to the events? Like I don't feel like I've ever heard just from the mouth of an allocator what's relevant to you, why you go to events, which ones stand out, and all of that. Yeah. So great question. And I'll answer and I'll make one comment before that. So yeah, this piece, this making conferences great again, which was definitely kind of the most commented and, you know, picked up article I had. Um, and it's been nice because I've had a lot of good feedback from my conference organizers that they're like, wow, that was great thoughts. And we've implemented some of your ideas and you had some good comments from managers that agreed and disagreed um, with um what I wrote. So yeah, definitely again, a piece where I'm like, this is just like any other article I've, I've written. And it turns out there was a lot of, you know, it got picked up uh, and and shared a lot. So, uh, which is cool, but back to your question. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of conferences and it's just kind of like same with managers reaching out. Like there's a lot of managers out there that they want our business. Um, so it's a lot of cold emails, cold calls of, Hey, come to our event. Um, you know, here, here's where, when it is, here's the topics, here's some speaking. And there's certainly, when I think back like 10 years ago, you know, I could, it seems like there's a handful of conferences. Now there's like, you know, 15 that are, that are out there kind of for what I do on the institutional side, or, you know, even call it investing in general. They're obviously like, we don't have unlimited travel budgets. I don't have unlimited time. So I kind of got to pick the few I can, I can make. I think the level of frustration kind of rose where I realized like these, these are the same topics. We're kind of we're going through the motions a lot. Yeah, um, and so <laughs> it's I'm like there's like, a boilerplate. It's like they they picked like 
here's the box of things you can possibly do at a yeah. conference. And it's like, how dare you step too far to the left or right? Like in every single event is just not copy and pasted, but modified, modified version of copy and paste. So, so and, and that brings up a good point. So I, I, I checked one where, yeah, it was literally copy and pasted the, the, the topic and then like the little you know, synopsis below it of, you know, it was like, you know, high yield investing. Why is now a great time or whatever? I'm like, it's, it was exactly the same, you know, this year as it was last year. So to me, that's a sign that somebody just copy and pasted that thing. Uh, there was very little thought on, all right, what's actually some relevant topics for both managers and the allocators to actually get us together and actually talk about something, you know, something industry, interesting, excuse me. Um, and so that kind of thought, you know, paired with kind of my frustration of, you know, some of these just not being a great use of time. I'm like, all right, I'm going to like pull together all the ideas I have on how to make it better. And some are going to be good. Some won't be good. And I'm just going to you know put it out there and we'll see what happens. To set the ground rules, how we're going to do this. And of course, everyone listening, I'll link the blog so you can check this out if you want to read it. We will go through the 12 different items. I'm going to do a brief summary of it. And then Adam and I are going to more or less debate quickly if we agree, disagree, or are neutral. And then we'll just move on to the next one to try to Perfect. gather in those perspectives. I guess the only group we're missing here would be a conference organizer, but it's probably better for them to hear this first before they would jump on the show. Yeah. Would, and I've talked like, to a co- I just, well, I was on a call last week with an organizer. So I'll kind of share if I, had, you know, if they had some feedback that was, you know, either, you know, supports it or, you know, goes against what I said. Cause again, a, a lot of this, to me, these are ideas to be debated and discussed and to be tested. These are not ironclad rules that absolutely will work. And, you know, the, the idea is to force us to think about how we kind of do some of these events and, and make it better. So, yeah, let's uh, jump in. This uh, this will be good. All right. So first and foremost here is LP and allocator only session. So time dedicated to just yeah. the LPs that are there. The premise here being that the investment community is small, especially on the institutional side. It's an advantage to have a network, and that time is best spent like networking and seeing those peers. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So I think what what I don't think is probably as a parent again, I this you know makes sense from from my side, but from a manager or a conference organizer, it's like it is a small community. There's a lot of us, you know, myself included, where we have a, a small team. Um, it's really nice to know other people in the industry to and not just like share ideas, but just to share best practices or, uh, you know, kind of what's your, you know, uh, high, are you in office, hybrid, remote work? What's worked well? What hasn't worked? Like just being able to share ideas um, it, it is super valuable. Uh, and again, that's outside of even the core, like, you know, talking about a manager or a strategy or what do you like or or don't like. There's a, there's a lot of value in that. And I think a lot of allocators really like to build relationships at these conferences. So some conferences do this really well where they have, you know, a couple sessions um, with just the allocators. So there's no, you know, man, you know, there's no selling. It's just kind of more of a free flowing conversation. Some don't have it at all. And my idea is like have at least one session where we can get to know each other it doesn't have to dominate the entire day or the conference but you know help facilitate those relationships because you know the best conferences i've been to is one where i've met some great people and then we follow up and um and that's going to bring me back to the conference every time if i know you know there's other allocators that i like there so um i think that benefits everybody um 
but uh, yeah, so that's the perspective on these, you know, allocator only sessions. From uh, so from your view on this, and we'll get, we'll continue extending each and all of these. But when you when you think about the peer, your peer network, um, when you attend events, is it important at all or a factor at all that there's kind of like a relevant institution, whether it's by like AUM sizes, similar challenges, like, is that something that you actively consider? Like, do you look at the rest of the LPs that are potentially attending and make a decision based off of that? Or is your intent here more so like, let's just do a better job at, in the event itself, having like a, a better community being built of the LPs that are attending? Yeah. So I think the, the, yeah, the, the big idea is just get all the investors or the allocators together, just because Again, I mean, we're, we're, we're all doing the same thing and we all have different constraints and objectives. But for the most part, uh, you know, I can learn from an endowment. I can learn from a family office, um, you know, even though we're you know, probably more conservative uh, for most of our assets. But we do have, you know, a, a good part that's more aggressive. So there's a lot of, you know, back and forth that, you know, you can do there. There are times where like an insurance where there's just there's unique regulations and things going on where it can be useful just to have insurance only where there are things that a family office wouldn't care about or an endowment wouldn't care about. So it's not that those aren't valuable at all, but I think just getting the investors together um, is the big part. And if there's time to do, you know, kind of subgroups, fine. But uh, no, I think just getting the, the allocators together is, is is a win by itself. So you do acknowledge this too in the quick write-up that like why take time away from the asset managers, the ones that are paying. And as the asset manager representative here, I if I have to if I have to give anything on this, it's like if I had to do agree, disagree, or neutral, I have to land on like neutral or towards disagree, not okay. for the reasons that you laid out, because those obviously make complete sense. Yep. It's it, it, there's more people, at least when when I was working on the institutional side, and I what I'm doing today in my day job, I still work directly with allocators. So I'm like more in that line. But interestingly, I actually deal more with what you're talking about, like the change management and yep. internal tools now. But at conferences specifically, like the best wholesalers out there want to just be able to like learn what else is actually impacting the investment office. Yep. And it would be nice for those conversations to be happening so I'm going to, I'll stay neutral here because I don't disagree with you that there's things that only LP should care about and it's easier to build that trust and community together, but perhaps maybe there's ways that you make it less awkward and just so obvious that like, here's the salesperson trying to talk to the allocator yeah. because right now it's like one or the other. It's either like, we have to go seek you out and it's going to be awkward. There's no way to get them in a room together and be like, Hey, by the way, like meet this person. He's an investor professional. Meet that person. You know what I mean? Like getting in the room yeah. to make it more easy to facilitate the intro. I, yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming from. And I think there's another point where we kind of get into that where, yeah, we, we know these interactions need to happen to make it work for everybody. So instead of like trying to make it so hard on everybody, let's actually make it easier to meet, kind of get meetings lined up beforehand, not have you scrambling around trying to find me and I'm trying to like dodge you and like, let's just like, let's make it easy so we can kind of see who's there, who makes sense, who doesn't. Um, and that would like, I think, like I said, get back to like, well, we can make it, make it work for everybody. Cause there are things that you guys should know about that, 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 that we talk about. Um, but I think it's until we kind of can 
facilitate these interactions and meetings a little bit better. That's kind of why I go on this, you know, allocator only session. Yeah. Yep. Some, some stuff I, I always promised out to the universe. So it holds me accountable to doing it, but like better yep. resources for the salespeople, like yeah, five things you probably should know about the actual, like an institutional allocation. Yep. So many people aren't even aware of like the procurement process or how long that takes and how yep. that impacts like meeting frequency, cadence, like it's not like this bang, bang, like I meet someone, I'm going to go do a deal. It's like, no, if, if we think there's a relationship, when an investment mandate opens, we will invite however many participants to either be a part of the, the, the RFP process. Everyone's a little bit different, but like people need to know that. And sometimes they don't. And it makes that friction a little bit more awkward at the events because people are thinking that they're going to strike gold by shaking your hand in the hallway at the uh, conference center, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'd rather like be you know, straight up and say, Hey, like here are strategies we are not interested in. We don't have the capacity for, we don't have the expertise. So I don't want to even waste someone's time, you know, with making small talk because it's just going to be disappointing for both of us. We're going to waste time and you're not going to get a, you know, a, a quality lead from it. So again, getting back to let's make these interactions work and let's stop doing it in like this random fashion where it's just a scramble at these events, trying to um, make as many you know connections as possible, hoping a couple you know you know work out in the end. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go on to the second one here. All right, so uh, I, I'm going to retain for the asset managers neutral. We'll, more to talk on that one for the first one there, which is yep. LT only sessions. So second one, uh, panel discussions are debates. So I have to, I mean, I have to stamp appro approval this one on agree because like we we're in industry where it's like. You don't benefit from deviating until you're like the one person that's always the contrarian or, or you know, has yeah. like the reputation for just always being that outlandish person. But your suggestion here is to have all the panel discussions be debates as opposed to like round tables or just the classic, like three people on a panel, same asset class, just different shops. And then they, at least that'd be on the manager side, but on the allocator side, it'd be like, what do you think about this insert generically boring topic that no one can have an opinion on? So you think it would be a debate oriented would make for a much lively and better conference situation. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's kind of the, the typical example. Like, again, you have a, a session on high yield. And so you have, you know, someone from PIMCO up there, someone from Wellington and someone from, let's say, Nuveen, you know, just, you know, three you know, big managers. And again, they're all kind of talking their book. They're, they're, you know, high yield portfolio managers. They might be on the sales side, but you kind of just have this generic discussion of they're going to talk about it's always attractive to invest in high yield. They're going to try to kind of slip in, oh, here's our process and people, and here's why we do a better job. And, you know, they'll kind of try to do it subtly. And and it just kind of gets to this, I just call it generic and vague discussion of things that we as allocators, we, we already know. I mean, we know what the high yield market is. We might not be, you know, like day-to-day -day focused on it, but we're kind of aware where spreads are at and what's going on. So we don't need this generic overview. We need someone that says, yeah, here's why I think high yield is attractive. Someone else says, no, here's why high yield is uh, you know, dangerous and risky. And here's all the problems there. And at least there, you're going to have people kind of pick apart the other argument and you're just going to have a more thoughtful uh, and hopefully entertaining discussion uh, rather than just this, you know, we got to get up there and spend 40 minutes so we can get our time in front of the audience and, you know, hope something good happens. Uh, it's just trying to force a better discussion and, and make people say, hey, you got to stand for something. You got to either, you know, you really like this ask class, fine, then argue for it. You don't, fine, but um, let's just try to make it 
a little bit more entertaining and the debate structure hopefully just kind of facilitates that type of interaction. I am I am available to host a debate if we want to ever structure that. Uh, anyone tuning in, get get Adam and I out there. We'll we'll co-host something that's Absolutely. actually entertaining. People, there's I think people like yourself. There's some other folks that are getting towards it. I feel like one big gap has just been individual individualism versus the institution that people represent. I feel yeah. like that's been a challenge for people to go be comfortable in a public setting like a conference where they're willing to either drop their the corporate bullet points and just say what they think as a seasoned investment professional and really let it rip. That would make a debate like that something that truly makes people like, wow, put down their phones, not get distracted and be like, whoa, that was better than anything I've ever seen. Right. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right. So we we agree on panel discussions and debates. Uh, Third one, paying speakers. So admittedly, I'm not even sure to what degree speakers are or are not paid today. I would imagine if the LPs that are brought on stage uh, are there, they're not paying a fee, but they're certainly not getting paid. So your premise here is just not like a huge, massive bank, you know, right. bankroll for a keynote spot. Right. It's like, like put some skin in the game for you, right? Like that, is that the premise here? That's ex- exactly right. I think like you, you get what you pay for, you know, as the cliche goes and, so yeah, from my perspective, yeah, sometimes you get travel cover. There, you know, hotel will get covered if you're if, if you're on a panel, which is which is fine. But the idea is the to send the message of okay, you're going to be speaking. You have a job to do. You're a performer. You're not there just taking up space. You're not there just to ramble on. Like we're going to kind of up the stakes. We're going to give you some. I I don't know if it's five hundred bucks. I don't know if it's about you know whatever that amount is to say hey, we expect you to do a bunch of homework to come with good points to come with counterpoints to the other side uh, and actually again, deliver some value. And I think, you know, I, let's just make this instead of, you know, a kind of like, we're just trying to, you know, get a warm body up there. Let's get some people that again are, are kind of willing to speak and, um, and kind of make that commitment to say, Hey, we're going to give you a little something here, but we expect, uh, you know, a good presentation, a uh, good debate, a good discussion up on stage. And, and, and like I said, I don't know what the right amount is. Uh, but again, it's, and, and maybe there's different ways to do it, but it's just trying to rate, you know, raise the expectation that you're up there and you need to perform. And that, look, I've been guilty. I've been on panels before and I've kind of basically kind of just winged it and showed up. Yeah. And you, so I'm, you I'm guilty. Yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of this. So I, that's why I, I'm cautious. I don't join a panel unless I'm like passionate about it. And I'm really going to deliver something valuable, valuable. Cause it, it's a, you know, it's a lot of time and uh, to prepare, but yeah, it's just an idea to like, again, let's up the quality of, of these conferences. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, you know, it's the, one of the worst, if you ever get stuck in this position, which, which you may have, and it's not to call out anybody in particular, sometimes the individual that's responsible for organizing that panel makes it very difficult to do anything beyond just like the cookie cutter. Here's the four questions that we think will fill up a 45 minute panel. And then it's just yeah. like the same question gets asked to each panelist. And then it just, there's no, there's no interaction. There's no like, well, well do you agree with that? Disagree with that. So I guess we'll give, we'll give a shout out uh, officially to the the host that can do that. And then maybe we'll, um, we'll, we'll tell everybody who's <laughs> on yeah. guard, maybe the hosting just be, be a little bit better. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, it's easy to say it here between us. You know, I, I know implementing something like this is harder or 
know, trying to find ways to incentivize people to really be prepared. And maybe it's just trying to get back to, you know, I know there's some really, you know, there's some personalities in our industry that have no problem getting up and speaking and they're entertaining uh, and they're thoughtful. Um, so it's easy to say, just get people like that and you're good. So I understand the challenges of, you know, the practical nature of this, but it's just trying to, let's just take some baby steps towards this, you know, this, this direction, just to try to kind of, again, let's up the quality in a, in a couple different ways and, and, you know, it gets better for everybody. For sure. All right. So pay speakers, we're on board for that. So are the speakers number four here, having breaks after every presentation. So I think this is, yeah, yeah I mean, like I, I did some, uh, what, I don't know what the right word, like executive executive education program at the University of Richmond, not too long after school. And it was kind of like one of those eight week sessions. We did a lot of like the team building, like leadership yep. stuff. Yep. One of the things I remember learning in that was basically like the human brain can only be like super active and focused for a very finite amount of time. And it was, I want to say it was somewhere between like 45 and 90 minutes. Yep. And that is completely thrown against the wall when you go to a conference and events. You're just like program morning to night, right? So like any... What would you say here on, on like why we need to have those breaks and, and where what kind of breaks are going to be most suited? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Yeah, so I, you know, I know there's studies out there of like, yeah, we can concentrate. At, you know, what I've seen is like 45 minutes is like after that, we start to lose attention and, you know, we start checking our phones and, and stuff like that. So one is definitely the attention span component. But the other part is like, look, we know we got like emails to answer. So let's instead of trying to like, go from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. with like very little breaks like people are going to take breaks whether you like it or not so let's build in 10 minutes after each one let people check their phones uh like look we're human so we got to use the bathroom got to get coffee get water get something to eat like let's stop pretending we are something we're not so yeah i think there's always this quantity focus of let's just cram in as much you know stuff as possible um because then you can go to the managers and be like, God, look at all the time in front of, you know, in front of the, the allocators you have. But, you know, half the time we're checked out because we're exhausted, we're hungry, you know, we got to use the bathroom, you know, we need we need more coffee. So let's just design things for how we are. And it's going to be less quantity, but better quality, I think. And again, it's just going to make it more bearable. Uh, for everybody, especially at the end of the day when you know, we're getting tired and it's been a lot of back and forth, a lot of conversations, like let's not fight that. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So let's build some breaks and it's going to be better quality overall. Have you ever had the privilege of being on a panel that starts at like 4.30 PM or is one of the last <laughs> slots? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's oh. amazing. It's, it's amazing how much, I mean, I know people have things going on, but yeah, it just will, it will clear out. Like it's busy in the morning and then there's a drop off after lunch. And yeah, towards the end, people are just like, you know, again, they're checking out. So when I think about, I'm a manager paying for these events, like, what are you really paying for? Are you getting the quality, you know, the audience that you expected and the interactions you want? Well, not if they're leaving or not if they're not paying attention or not if they're out in the hallway, because they just, you know, they need a break. So uh, again, it just gets back to like, let's design this uh, around how we, you know, really are not how we, you know, we want people to be in this perfect world because that's you know not how we are. Couldn't agree more. So we're we're, we're definitely trending here on agreements. So yep. 
Uh, number five, similar on that, like with attention span and just how long we can commit to any given session. Number five that you've got here is 30 minute max. So keeping it tight, not going too over, uh, overboard. I, I, can't, I mean, I, I guess I would, I would only dis, I would disagree only because there's probably good sessions that should be longer, but that on average, the bad ones absolutely should be capped at 30. You're right. Yeah. So the idea, the idea is like, there's, again, I'll keep using high yield as an example. There's only, only so much you can talk about high yield or emerging market equities or, you know, the fed and the macro outlook. Like, so my thing is like you cap it at 30 minutes and maybe it's 25 or 35, but you basically say to the speakers, look, you got to come with your best points. You got to be concise. Got to be prepared. You can't just show up and wing it. We're going to get through the best ideas and content, and then we're going to call it. And we'll have the break, as we just talked about, and we'll go on to the next session. And I think a lot of things, a lot of sessions where it's 45 minutes or an hour, like you just get, you get through all the good ideas, and then you can just tell they're like, they're just reaching, you know, trying to find ideas to fill, and the audience isn't asking questions. And you can just tell, like, God, we should have. <laughs> we should have called this like, you know, 15 minutes ago, but we got to fill the time. So again, less quantity, just back to this idea of less quantity, more quality. Um, and then I think you can get kind of more focused on, yeah, more kind of niche topics where you can kind of go deep, you go kind of fast, um, and you're not trying to cram in, you know, these big, expansive topics in an hour. Uh, it's just, it's much more much more focused uh, and to me more efficient for, you know, 30, you know, whatever, 30 or 20 or 35. But like I said, there's probably some where you have the right speakers. There are some where I could listen for two hours because again, it's the right person, right experience, uh, the right message, uh, but most are, are not that. So that's the reason yeah. for the, the, the cap. I, I would even argue like almost like when you do public speaking, anyone who's tuning in, that's a wholesaler who gives a lot of sales presentations understands that. Yeah. Time goes by really fast in any kind of panel session, any kind of group setting. You'd almost be beneficial to just be like, what is the one thing that collectively we want to talk about? Make that actionable. And only like you have 30 minutes, just talk about that one thing. Like, I've been a part of panel prep sessions or conference prep sessions where someone gives you the rundown of what you're supposed to be covering. And I'm like, how the hell would you expect me to cover this in 30 minutes unless I'm reading a script? There's no yeah. engagement. I don't take any pauses. And I just like regurgitate all these things on a, on a script. So I'm with you there, keeping it short where we can, cutting it off. Um, I'm a, you know what I'm a big fan of? Is a buzzer beater. Like you, you have an actual buzzer yeah. for either parts of the panel where it's like limited so that someone doesn't like run their mouth for like seven minutes and eat up all the time. Or yeah. when the session's coming to a close, you get your hands up. I, the last couple that I've been a part of, this was more for investor relations teams to so like the capital raisers. They did like they had a, a buzzer beater where people were shut down if they extended their time past it. So absolutely. That, yeah, that would be another thing that absolutely would work. I'll, uh, I'll give myself a buzzer beater for this podcast, yep. like uh, just there like around go. the horn with uh, what's what's right. his name? Uh, Jim Rome. <laughs> just like yep. you get muted, called out for saying something bad. So absolutely. all right, moving on. So uh, we, I think we kind of covered this. So we probably agree here. Um, but presenters standing for something. Uh, presenters have to take a stand for something. So like no more generic neutral, non-emphatic, like that's your whole thesis here is just like, make sure that there's a, like an actionable insight for what people are presenting. Is that fair? That's Yeah. The, the one point I'd make on this is 
there's a lot of again you can talk in you know kind of big picture sense and my idea is like everything someone says should lead to an idea either you're buying this or selling this or you know adding risk here taking off risk uh it's so easy just to get you can talk about let's say what the fed is doing okay that's great the fed is they've done what they're done how is that actually affecting where you're allocating money and if you don't get to that point because that's what i i want to know is like okay you have this outlook on where rates are going okay what are you doing in your fixed income you know portfolio and oftentimes like they'll be like well i you know i, I don't know you know and that's kind of my point is a lot of this is like people don't know you know the future is hard to predict they don't know so they kind of just stay in this vague sense of you know not going to kind of commit to anything and and that's where you get to these discussions that don't really go anywhere. So it's just trying to get speakers to be like, all right, here's what we like. Here's why, um, you know, here's a recommendation, um, you know, actually be on the record for something uh, just to, you know, give us the allocator something to kind of grab onto and be like, all right, that's something I'll look at. And it'll give me some insight into how the manager is, you know, thinking about markets. So were you losing your mind in the st- in the? what was it like, let's call it 2017 to like 2019, end of 2019, when rates were still low, volatility was still historically low and every single equities manager, their outlook was basically like cautiously optimistic. They're like, we think it's we think it's going to be still a great year for stocks, but we haven't really had a bad year in a while. I mean, you had like the 2018 blip in, what yeah. was that, February, the beginning of the year, like that, that correction. But it was just like, I felt like every firm was out there just being like, we're cautiously optimistic. And there was really no... I guess there are groups that are like that, but the bigger ones were, I remember that being a pretty big like group think narrative. Yeah. I think that's, you're trying to get away from these hedge statements where it's like, yeah, we're, you know, optimistic about the future, but there's, you know, storm clouds gathering on the horizon or some, you know, shit like that, where it's like, you basically, you're saying you don't know, you're trying to kind of cover both your bases. And again, that just like, it doesn't add any value to anybody. And I get, you don't want to like, you honestly, liable you or not, something like that. Right. Yeah. Like, like, so I don't know. I'm just, it's, just not value add. So trying to get, yeah, let's get away from that. Double, people got to double down, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, let's see here. Uh, moving on. So number seven here. Uh, I will have to have a spirited debate on this one um, about how to make a better intro, but this one is don't make cold intros. Um, so I think you probably have a really good lens on this being on the LP and allocator side. So like, yeah. what is what does... Walk us through that. So for the audience, mostly who are wholesalers attending these events as sponsors, this might be the first time they're even hearing about that. So like on your end, is the organizer telling you to meet these people? Are they like requiring it of you? How does that look today for you? Yeah. So good question. So the the what I'm referring to is an organizer will be like, hey, Adam, I'd like to introduce you to, uh, you know, PIMCO's high yield team and um, hope you guys hit it off. and you know, you know, take it away. And, you know, I didn't, let's say I didn't ask for the intro. I might not be interested in high yield. And look, they're trying to add value to the managers by making an intro. And, and my thought is you're, you know, you're one ask permission first. Cause I may, if I have no interest, again, it's just kind of a waste of time for, for both of us, but there are some strategies that I, I would like to see what managers are there and, and I wouldn't mind an intro. So Instead of just having the organizer send cold intros, there was one conference I went to where they had like an online portal. You could see all the managers there. 
you could kind of you can you could request meetings. They could request meetings from you. You could see what the strategies they had. And so I was able to you know line up meetings that fit exactly what I was looking for. Um, and I, to me, that's such a better way of making these matches than an organizer just doing it kind of off the cuff or, you know, a manager just, you know, getting the attendee list and just blasting out emails. And I, and I get that's kind of the role, but like, let's, again, let's make this easier for everybody. I'm happy to share what I'm interested in, what we're not interested in. Again, that might, might take half the managers away, but it's going to make the other half, you know, it, a, a much better experience for them because they know what I want and I don't want. And again, I don't want to waste my time as much as I don't want to waste their time. So let's just kind of like, let's not ignore the elephant in the room and let's say, all right, these meetings want to happen. Um, so let's make it again, let's make it easier. Let's make it less random and let's try to facilitate who is looking for what and then we can bring people together. So that's why I don't like these kind of the cold intros where it's just, again, it's too random. It's just not um, too forced. It's just like, to me, it's a low probability of success. That is, I think that's the exclamation point on where some of the friction and I think like frustration from all attendees is starting to like materialize is because we we now live in an in information age where it's yeah. like, people can get information about where, where your team might be making investments or like this could be available in reports, but it's very yep. challenging to really like ask yourself or coming from the asset managers here. It's yep. like, what, what do they care about? We don't know that information. We right. think that going to the event, we're going to find that information out. And a cold intro is the best way to do that. Maybe the organizer says they're looking for this asset class, but really it's like, well, there's three things. And the fear is that the groups that you really do want to talk to, like you said, eliminates half or maybe even three quarters of the manager sponsoring. And then the managers are like, well, do I need to go to this event? And they lose their, like they throw away their sponsorship. So there's this like yeah. balancing act that's occurring, which is like, oh, actually, no, they're not really a good fit for me at the right time, but I can't not sponsor this event because I still want to hope and pray that somebody else comes around to my booth and says something. But you're right. Like that's, yeah, we're laughing now because no one goes to booths anymore, right? But that's like, that's kind of what's the false promise almost. So like the facilitation of who to speak to and about what, definitely. Um, and even me still being in like a sales role today, I, like I've had to really readjust how I even think about conference outreach yeah. because I look at that list and I'm like, well, I've spoken to most of these people. So I kind of know what's going on. And then also like, here's the problems we're solving. If this is applicable to you, come, come swing by. But like the general ask for a meeting is very tough, very tough. Yeah. It, yeah. And I, and I, and that's kind of my thing is like, I, I don't want to come here as an allocator and be like, no, we don't want any meetings. We don't want to be bothered. We don't want conversations. Cause like, that's just not reality. And look, we do most of everything I do is outsourced. So it's all externally managed, whether it's public or private. So yeah, there are firms I definitely want to get to know because we were putting money to work. I just, I, you know, it'd be nice to do it where it's like, let's again, let's make it efficient for everybody. And so if that means when I, you know, attend a conference, I have to list the strategies I'm interested in and what I'm not interested in. I'd be happy to more than happy to be an open book on what we're looking at. Cause that, again, it's going to, you know, managers don't want to waste time and pursue a, a, a dead lead. So if we like, we don't do a lot of hedge funds, so that's going to, you know, cut off a, a chunk of the, you know, let's say the hedge fund community, but that benefits me and it benefits them because now they're not wasting their time. You know, I'm not wasting my time. 
So again, more transparency. However, the, again, easier said than done, but um, let's kind of share what we're all looking for. And then we, you know, those matches make a lot more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, ties in hand in hand with number eight. So I think we're seeing some similarities here between these, which um, are, sorry, tying a bow on number seven. So yep. don't make cold intros. Yep. Um, I guess we we agree. And then we fundamentally disagree with how it's done today, which is less meaningful connections again yep. here, which is number eight. So sharing attendee list to help facilitate connections. So I, without being too redundant, we did kind of just cover that with, yeah. like, with what makes it even. So I think we... We'll let the audience read that one, and we can just say that we agree that like the purpose for both parties is to have that meaningful interaction, um, even if that is a like a quick no, but it's it gives you information on what's going to be like a relevant touch point. Absolutely, I think that's a great great way to put it. All right, number nine. I gotta laugh at this one because nothing makes you feel like more isolated in the world than being a vendor or a sponsor at a conference and just having a bullseye on your back because oh. you've got a different colored name tag or they're like. They're like, no, you can only wear this if you're a sponsor of it. Like they do, they go above and beyond to make it like a different tier of, of uh, access. So don't having, don't have different colored name tags for allocators versus managers. Like, I mean, I feel like this is predator versus prey in how you describe this, but you want to yeah. elaborate on, on your thought here? Yeah. You know, I think again, some conferences, you know, the, the allocators got one color and you know, the manager's got another and I get the intent. You're trying to kind of line up, you know, the, the managers and allocators and, help again facilitate the interaction but again it's you just get this dynamic where everyone's looking at the name tag and the color and you can just like as an allocator we're just being you know like hunted down and it's like again getting back to some of the other points like there's got to be an easier way to do this beforehand to set up meetings you know set up kind of who we are what we're looking for what we're not looking for then again the day of the event and then you're kind of scrambling to look around and you know, get the right colored name tag and, you know, looking at the firm and are they fit, you know, maybe not. So again, I, the intent is good. I understand why they do it. It's just like, there's gotta be a better way. So, um, let, yeah, let's, let's get rid of that. And again, let's kind of go back to some of those other points of trying to make it easier to do or make these interactions. Yeah. It's interesting. I've been at other like non-investment related conferences events where there's like the name tag is the same. And then there's like different ribbons almost, which is yeah. kind of like, it, it, how do I feel about that? And like at a professional event, I'm not really sure, but it's like, there's other ways of maybe just like giving people a baseline of information when you have conversation, as opposed to like clearly just labeling the difference yep. between like the allocator sponsor, especially yep. for the smaller ones. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Let's see. All right. So we, we're we're on board with that. We're, I mean, we're agreeing with a lot of things here, which uh, we're we're going against our thought here on consensus. We, uh, <laughs> I know we're not doing a good job. I agree. Uh, all right. So including discussions on investment organizational topics. Um, okay. So again, documented here in what we've chatted on so far. But this basically is just like do our best to not have every single session just be about like the market outlook for this asset class. Like that's just every, it seems like that dominates everything. So your thought here, making sure that there's a little bit, a bit of a rotation for topics there. Yeah. You know, some of the, the best conferences or best sessions where it's, again, it gets, gets down to maybe it's, you know, a, it's a leadership, a, you have a CIO or a manager and, you know, they're talking about leadership lessons. Um, could be how they're, you know, they structured their firm. Uh, it could be, again, it's everything, how to hire and fire people, 
um, you know, gets back to the remote work, hybrid, you know, in office, like what's worked, what's not worked. Get, you know, there's just so much we can cover the investment ideas and in, let's say eight out of the 10 sessions, but let's leave one or two for some of these other topics that are really meaningful uh, for us. So it certainly doesn't have to dominate the conference. I know we're here for investments. That's great. But let's add one or two where we can talk about, you know, some of the you know softer side or some of the qualitative side where um, these are all issues we deal with. So let's try to share some ideas and learn something um, outside of just the investment stuff. Yeah. Like I, I went to a really good one last year. I guess it was all for like investor relations professionals, but there was a lot of like side panels and discussions that were yep. like all of like everyone that was there, it was clearly relevant to their day to day. And so like everybody that was in the room picked up on a lot of good stuff and it was, had nothing to do with any kind of outlook for, you know, a lot, this was, a lot of them were private markets, GPs. It's like yep. none of it had to do with investment thesis or investment strategies. Yep. Like, shut awesome. up. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Uh, okay. <laughs> so now moving on to uh, eleven. Now, this is this might be a hot take for the audience, but like market updates and outlook. So your your thought here is just eliminate them. I'm. I have to like like imagine if you don't like if you were to script the best conference that you would go to. I don't know if you're going to write in that agenda market outlook because you just get it in a million different places now. Yeah, I. So this is one where I, yeah, I think I'm in the minority here of, I, I know a lot of people love the macro and they love what the Fed's doing and geopolitical. And it's just, trust me, I, I get it that it's interesting. It's timely. It's in the news. But to me, so much of it is not actionable. It never gets to that point where, okay, yeah, there's Russia and Ukraine and there's war in Israel now. Okay. Again, what are you buyers selling differently today than you were a month ago? Uh, where, where are you adding risk or not adding risk? Uh, because we can talk about these big picture ideas. All We can talk about the risk of AI, but like, how does that filter down to the day-to-day -day buying and selling you're doing? And that's where I'm always trying to get to, you know, let's get, if we want to talk about big picture stuff, great, but tell me how that influences and affects what you're doing with the actual money and when where you're adding money or where you're, you're taking out money. And it never really gets there. Cause again, I think it's, you know, these are fun topics to discuss. I just think about, you know, I can go on Bloomberg and read articles about all of these topics and I can read the fed statements. And I can do all the stuff. I don't need a recap from somebody telling me what the fed just did. Cause I can see it like 10 different ways. I can turn on CBC, CNBC and get their take. And it's just, again, it's the, it's very commoditized in my mind. So if you get somebody that, again, is a great speaker and has interesting and maybe kind of call it non-consensus ideas, great. But most of it's very consensus and and cautious, you know, kind of very you know, protected and, and kind of vague. And again, so that's where I'm trying to, again, you got to get up there and stand for something if you're going to do it. Do you think that the peers that are in your, the, on the LP and allocator side, like, do you think Hypothetically, let's say this the session that we coordinate at this future event that will be much better that, that we coordinate yep. is like recent recent like sales of assets, reasons behind it, market factors that drove it. Like, do you do you think that anyone that participates in that is like open to sharing that information? Or is it more of like still kind of like hush hush, don't talk about that kind of stuff in public, just based on our industry and the nature of people being more discreet with their assets? Yeah, I, I wish that was a requirement of like, if you were going to speak, you actually had to like 
show your positions. And I guess this has no probably no chance of ever happening, but you have to show your positions. You have to show what you've been buying or selling. You actually, you have to back up what you're talking about with the actions in your portfolio. So we actually know, like, are you just saying something or have you actually delivered on what you're talking about? And I get like, yeah. no one's going to disclose what they're doing, but the idea is the same of like, okay, let's, let's actually look at what's happening. Not just what you're talking about. So we're, we're just bashing high yield, I guess, on this call. Or this <laughs> That's recording. Right, yeah. So, so any, any high yield wholesalers out there, bear with, yeah. bear with yeah. us. We love you. Yeah. We're just using the example, but yeah, you get like a, someone giving an outlook at high yield and they're, they're, they're like down significantly year date. They're like, please, please people can come back to the asset class. <laughs> you like, they have like a scoreboard behind them of like their biggest position. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Now that I'm going to take a massive sidebar here. So for the audience listening, bear with me, but here in Massachusetts, they have legalized sports betting. So there's a number of books. I don't know if you do sports bet or not, or whatever. My friends and I, every time we talk about it, we're like the most, the most engaging thing to be with if there's a scoreboard of like the largest bets that were placed on the games that are, we're all watching at the sports bar, because then people can in real time, like follow along either root for, or like understand where the people that are like rooting at tables beside us. So it's more of like the public Here's where I'm. I got my money down. That we don't quite get whenever anyone is on a panel at these industries. So I hope everyone yeah. could follow along that analogy here. But uh, you can tell so, we like to go off the rails with this show. Yeah, no, and that's the thing I had where I somebody was talking on a panel about recommending. It was like global macro hedge funds or long short. They thought that you know asset class, if you call it that, was attractive. And my idea was like, oh, let me see your recommendation. Let me see your performance on the recommendations you made over the last three years, five years, 10 years. Let's see if you can back up what you're talking about. Because that would be really, to me, interesting when I think about who I should listen to and who who, who I shouldn't. And of course, we're not going to get that. But it's easy to, like, again, make big ideas. But when you, if you don't have this, you know, this idea of backing it up with actually action, I think it's, uh, again, you just lose a lot. So I'm not, I don't think it's going to ever happen, but um, it'd be great if it did. For sure. For sure. All right. And uh, so last but not least, well, you know what? Now that we're talking out, talking through this out loud, there's probably some early adopters that would be willing to, maybe it's not going to be through the big conferences and events that have, you know, those, those specific managers that probably won't do it, but there might be, there might be a, a focus of people that would be open to that kind of transparency. Yeah, so bet, we'll yep. see where we can get it out there. Yep. Um, 12. Okay. So again, amazing. We're, we're kind of covering this all now, um, but more breakout sessions. Like, you, you hit the nail on the head in this blog. Like, it benefits everybody. Just giving people a chance to spread out, like move around, not being in one place. Just like m- the more interactions and touch points you can get, probably the more you're going to benefit from an event. So giving breakout sessions is key. And we touched on the topics that are better than what's out there today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just trying to get it kind of match supply and demand. So if there's, um, let's let's build in a lot of different topics and then, if I'm attending a topic that interests me, that's great. And then if, if there's a manager, again, obviously I'm hopefully attending that topic or the discussion because it's pertinent to me and it makes sense. And now there's, again, the relationship or conversation we're going to have is much better than if it's just the general session where you just ran into me and maybe I'm interested or maybe not. Now it's, uh, you know, the, the odds of success is much better if you have much more focused discussions and you have more options where people can pick and choose because they're obviously going to pick and choose according to what they want and what they desire. They're not going to you know, be interested in wasting their own time. 
so again, it just helps again, helps everybody out to kind of match what people want, um, you know, to what they actually attend. When I negotiate like our sponsorship packages now, like one of the requirements that I typically have is that for relevant events, they allow like us to participate in, not, not because we're trying to necessarily sell, but like we, we, we solve problems for people. And the best conversations I've had after conferences were because we joined like the breakout session and we were just more like there to be a part of it. We were like, oh, wow. Okay. This sounds like it's pretty, it seems like it's a problem. If you're open, it, it makes a much better discussion in the hallway over coffee. And then you get to say hi. And then there's never any awkward, like post-conference follow-up where it's just that random shelling of all the emails of people that attended, which is like, can we yeah. book a meeting? Cause we were both at the same conference. It's right. It's a much more meaningful second interaction when you get that opportunity. Yeah. You're, you, you, you hit it right. When you talk about problem solving, I mean, there are problems that we as allocators face and we don't have the resources to do it all. And it might not be a pure investment you know, problem, but it might be, it might be a technology issue. It might be like a performance report or like a reporting issue. It may be accounting. There's a lot of regulatory issues and insurance. So when someone can come to me and let's say they're not focused on their investment strategy, but they, they said, Hey, I heard you talk about this regulatory issue. Here's what we've done on it. Here's a white paper we did. Like, wow, that's, that's really helpful. That's powerful. And that builds that relationship and not guaranteed that we'll invest, but it's so much better than, you know, the cold email or just trying to randomly connect. So I do think if we can facilitate that problem solving, have more sessions where we're talking, you know, the allocators are talking about the challenges we face and what we're looking for. Um, then that just gives the managers more opportunity to be like, yeah, we can, we can help you. Cause a lot of the managers, again, are better resourced. They've been doing it while they are specialists in whatever their area uh, and they can really help some of the firms that, you know, are not, let's say, the Ivy League endowments that don't have the resources. Um, so that that could be a really good match for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give I'll give a, a nod to the the wholesaling audience, particularly those that are have an institutional focus. There are a number of them that actually have just interacted with enough of these plans to probably realize that they were you can't really say consultant because obviously they weren't a consultant, but like they were involved in, like they probably yeah. know the plans or peer plans. So if there's anything that I would maybe say on like, I don't know to what extent you actually do choose to work with wholesalers or, or how you leverage them, but they might have, uh, if you have that list of three things that you're actually interested in, you might be surprised at what you might get for someone's like honest opinion, if they ever have helped another plan that's kind of like similar to yours. So maybe that's a good way to help bridge the gap here with those uh, asset manager folks too. Yeah, I think when I think about like, yeah, the, the wholesalers I interacted, it's not like the investment, you know, philosophy and people and process, that's fine. But if you can come alongside of that and have some other expertise or help or assistance or or even say, hey, we have other clients, they've had this issue. Here's what we've done with them or here's what they've done. And like if you're adding value, again, that's going to help grow the relationship and the conversation. Um, and again, we like working with people that help us out or, you know, are, are thoughtful about the interaction and are not just blasting out like a cold email, out of the CRM with, you know, no personal touch. So the more you can actually kind of get to know what we're, what we're looking for, what our problems are. Yeah. It just makes it so much more valuable for both of us. Well, Adam, you have been very generous with your time. Do you have a quick minute for our closing segment? This is for uh, not related to conferences and events for the industry. All right. Absolutely. Yep. I'm good. It's amazing how time flies sometimes when you hit the record. It does. Button. Just, no, uh... <laughs> this has been great. Absolutely great. 
All right. So uh, outside of making investment allocation decisions, running your team, do you have any hobbies, passions, interests, or pursuit that you occupy uh, when you're not working? I think you mentioned some Bruce Lee and, and fitness. Are you doing any kind of Taekwondo or martial arts out there? Is that something or other things yeah, that occupy your time? That's a big thing. Yeah. I've been doing martial arts. I did Taekwondo for about 10 years out of college. Been in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu the last five or six years. So that's a, a huge passion that's bordering on like an obsession now. So I, if I have time, I'm, I'm training at night or, or in the morning and um, yeah, outside of work and, you know, stuff with the kids. That's, that's definitely the one thing I'm, I'm focused on. That's awesome. That, that is a, an intense discipline. So congratulations to you for that. Thank it's you. Not easy to maintain, especially as uh, you know, you move along in your career and those responsibilities at home and at work. Pick it, up. it is a challenge. Absolutely. So I'm trying to be consistent and stick with it, but yeah, it's, it's super fun. Uh, but it is, it's a challenge with everything going on. All right. Well, we'll send you off with this. Um, where should the audience find you? Should they check out the blog, LinkedIn? What's the best way to uh, to reach out if they like this episode and want to pick your brain? Yeah, there's actually, maybe we should not do that just based on how all this happened with random outreach. But no, I, I, I know it's going to be in a, no, it's all good. It's all good. So yeah, there's two ways there. I do have a blog. Uh, it's adamdschwab.com. Uh, LinkedIn is, you know, I'm happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. You know, I publish articles on both. So either one, either one is good. I'm on Twitter. Um, post, I'm, I should be more active there, but again, Adam D Schwab, um, is, is the Twitter name. Yeah. Those are probably the big three. So if they you know find one, they'll find the other two. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you again so much. This was a pleasure. Anytime Absolutely. you want to come on, please let us know. Like I okay. said, it was, it's much appreciated. And hopefully if, if nothing else, this is Continuing what your goal is with the blog is to just put things out there, have people follow it and, and make this industry and all the people that are part of it have a better experience together. So Adam, it was uh, it was awesome. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, well, well, thank you. This has been great. This is uh, a lot of fun again. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at internal use only podcast or email us at internal use only podcast at gmail.com.